Stock Talk. As always, it is Trevor Kirkpatrick alongside Corey Edge. Today we have another major check mark off of our list. This was one that we had in our kind of our top five cattle guest, I would say. Yeah, pretty cool interview that we got set up here. But these interviews would not be possible without some good, good friends of ours. Walton Woodcasting. Oh my. You know, Last week, we just uh, explained about the uh, Indiana State Fair, how incredible that deal was. And they literally give you every single view of every piece of livestock from the comfort of your house, your car, your office, whatever it is. Um, It's amazing stuff. Plus, if you missed it, if you were living in the cave or whatever, uh, subscribe. You have to get to waltonwebcasting.com and subscribe because when you do subscribe, you were able to reach into all of their archives. Even years ago, many shows ago, reach down in there, start watch, re-watching them. That, my friends, is Game Changer. Game Changer. Trev, I want you to know something. What's up? Walton Webcasting has been with us since like week two. That's right. We are almost a full eight months in, and I just want to say what vision they have. For things oh, that are going to be, goodness. and we we honestly, I, I didn't know this was going to be it. I couldn't have told you that freaking two weeks ago we would have been at the Indiana State Fair on the Coliseum. Uh, it I'm, was mind boggling, and I mean, we got to chat with some of them about some of the ideas we had together. Holy buckets! Yep, yep. And just to think, a year ago is you know my my uh, my first anniversary is this weekend my wedding anniversary, and. Aww. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And a week ago, or uh, a year ago, excuse me. Seems like a week sometimes. A year ago, I was I was in the middle of getting ready for wedding week, and here we sit a year later, and we are thirty episodes in to How stock about talk. That craziness. That's crazy. So, as always, folks, we're going to recap our top five every 10 episodes. We always recap our top five. And the way they're ranked is by plays, so popularity. Without surprise, by far, by almost 3,000 plays, Brad Hook, number 27, picture perfect. No one my friends. No one's shocked, but I am because there was over, what, 2,500 plays in the first 12 hours or something crazy? Yes. Like, that's insane. And now there's just just about 7,000. Amazing. Brad, my man, you got quite the following. Thanks for making the show quite interesting. Um. I will tell you this also. Um, we've got more bad hook for you. Whether you like it or not. That is true. We've got that more is hook. true. Boy, oh boy. Trev, hit him with number two. Your reserve champion is number 16, Todd Caldwell, clean and dry. He's still up there, folks. 
That was yeah. a very popular episode. Ten Still, episodes ago, he was he was number one. That's right. That is right. And that was a very good uh, no filter episode. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody knows Todd. That was very popular. There was a lot more cattle people that started tuning in. Yes. Look at that. Thankfully. Cattle takes grand and reserve. Yes, hundred um, percent. Ladies and gentlemen, also to 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 date, we have seventy six thousand on the nose. Seventy six thousand plays. Um, boy, that feels good. We we love all you. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, and also to no surprise, coming in at number three. Dan Hogue live from the exposition. That is one that people still talk about that still go back and listen. I, I get, I get several text messages and Snapchats from folks just like, man, never gets old listening to Dan Hogue talk and uh, makes you kind of, if you're a grad of, of black hockey, East, just makes you feel like you're back in the classroom. If you've ever shown underneath of him, makes you feel like you're in a grand drive, listen, listening to the man, just spill some knowledge. And uh, yep. what what an episode. Uh, that's my favorite one from the standpoint of looking back and just decade by decade, by decade where, we, where we've gone and where we've been. Cool. That was 10 episodes ago. That feels like 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Truly does. Wow. Yep. Good stuff. Fourth Boy. overall, folks. Boy, his head's gonna, just going to get bigger than it already is. That's right. Yeah. Number eight, Miles Tinius, the cattle guy. You realize, Corey, we have three of the top four are cattle episodes, technically. And, and I would like to also make note of the the separation between third and fifth is less than 200 episodes. 200 plays. 200 plays. Yeah, sorry. 200 plays. Less than 200 plays. So that's pretty wild in itself. And it gets even tighter, even from, from there. Yeah, I mean, you, you we could run through a top ten, but I mean, realistically, top five. There's there's still some some significant enough separation between five and six. So, all right, yeah. round out the top five, buddy. Yeah. So, congratulations, Miles. By the way, people have also told me uh, we we really do need to come up with that. Um, chill the bleep out. Yeah, for nah, sure, moms and dads. Sounds awesome. Yep. All right, rounding out your top five. Is episode number two, our very first interview to date, Jim McCoy. It's a brave new world. Yeah, man, that's one of those I want back, to be honest with you. Oh, if we could um, redo that one. Well, I think uh, I think old Jim would be up for it. Yeah, I think we could. I think we could redo it. I mean, not redo it, but I mean. Just dive into Capitalize. it a little bit. Yeah. 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 I mean, we know we know more about how to conduct an interview, a little Correct. bit more than what we did when we started. So, um, yeah, thankfully, he kind of did it for us back then. <laughs> uh, so that was really tight between uh, between Miles's episode and Jim's is very close. We're talking like 20 plays. Yeah, 20, less than 20, less than 20 plus. But there you go, folks. That's your top five. Um, this recap's a little bit shorter because we're doing it right before a monumental interview. Um, plus, there was a ton of people who's been wanting to hear from our guest. Uh, Corey hit him with it, although you kind of spilled the beans last week. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a 
queen of queens, a unique human being, an evaluator that can turn his back and tell you every single detail of the animals behind him. We have Mr. Ryan Rash. Just a precursor for our audience here, and I'm sure if you follow him on Facebook, you realize how he had a little bit of tough time getting to uh, getting to the ranch with the flat tire and missing flights and everything. But Ryan, we are so excited to get you on the microphone here to get started. Why don't you just tell us about yourself and where you come from and a little bit about what you do? Well, first, thank you for having me. And it, yeah, it was a little bit of struggle to get back here yesterday, and I'm real glad that this is a recording because. If they could see me, I would not be in a full fit grand champion uh, state right now. So I'm glad they can just hear me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, I'm Ryan Rash. I live in Crockett, Texas. I grew up showing all species of livestock, even goats. We even raised goats for a little bit. Uh, was very fortunate and very successful. Uh, went to Texas A&M, was on their livestock judging team there. We were a national champion team. We had a very good run, and I was pretty fortunate to do very well. Uh, currently, I work at the Showbox Magazine and the Texas Junior Livestock Association, and I own and operate SB Cattle Company. We have some club calves, uh, purebred Charlay and Hereford Herd, and uh, I travel around buying and selling them as well. Well, that okay. sounds like a dream job to me. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't sound too bad either. Uh, yeah, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Um, so let's let's dive into a little bit about uh, about the cattle operation, um, SB Cattle Company. What, what's the SB first off? Let's let's get that out there, and then maybe just tell us a little bit more about what you guys do. Uh, maybe some of your breeding program and and uh, the kind of trading and stuff you do. Uh, I used to tell people that if I told them, I'd have to kill them, but it's pretty wide known now that uh, the SB stands for screaming bitch. So, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. My mother will tell anybody that I came into the world screaming and haven't shut up. And there are some people that don't think I'm just a genuinely nice person. So it kind of fit at the time. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's like, how, what, like what year did you uh, decide this was going to be yeah. it? The name for the. Yeah. Uh, well, in late of 2002, uh, Pentecostal family from a suburb of Houston by the name of Broadway came to me and they asked me if I would select their daughters shows. They had two daughters, Kristen, Samantha, if I would go out and spine and select their show steers and also, uh, you know, not only do that, but find the people to help them in the barn, manage the program, you know, kind of do it all. And so, that's how it started, and uh, that was a very successful venture. We had several head on feed, but we were extremely fortunate to win a lot in the jackpot seasons through the summer and fall. And two of those steers went on to be the champion Charlay and the champion Limousine at the Houston Livestock Show. And the Limousine was the grand overall steer that year. Hey, pretty good start. Wow. Yeah. And so from there, other families got involved and asked me for their help. and. We just kind of went at it and 
like I said, been blessed to work with some tremendous families and some great kids, and we've had a great deal of success. And like I said, we have we have some club calves and some Herefords. My stepfather is five-time past president of the American Hereford Association, so we have some of those running around, and uh, we have some Charlotte cattle. And couple past couple of years have been real good. We've produced and bred and raised uh, two of the most successful Charlotte heifers out there on the circuit. So it's been nice. What's wow. uh, so? Do, well, I was just going to ask, what's your what's your favorite uh, favorite breed, or do you have anything you're drawn towards more than others? Oh, I like Charlets right now. They're pretty hot. Uh, I showed Charlets as a kid too, and uh, they're just they're pretty unique and different. And them being blonde and me being blonde, it's a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> there you go no i was just going to ask it, it do you have some uh some sales you do every year or how do you market those cattle i guess if somebody was listening and kind of wants to be part of your program how do they go about doing that? no i don't have a sale or anything like that uh literally it's just uh people come up to me I'm, i tell people all the time it's more of an order buyer proposition uh they come up mm. to me and they tell me you know we're looking for a steer or we're looking for a heifer for this show. And this is our price range and you know, what can you do? And so, and I go out and try to find them the best that I can and send them pictures and videos or tell them where it's at. And we go from there. There you well, go. Well, I'm sure like in an environment like that, you might get yourself into some sketchy situations. <laughs> uh, is there, is there a story that you can share? Um, where you've been put in a in a pretty oh, yeah. uh, interesting situation with with right. dealing with people like that. Yeah, uh, one year, uh, not going to name any names or anything like that, but had a gentleman who had a kid that was going to be their senior year, and they had told me what they wanted, and I went out and found, and they had given me a budget, and I had sent them pictures and you know all that and videos, and they were fine with it, and they had given me a price range, and I had paid for these cattle. And uh, when it came time for them to pay me, uh, magically, they they had no money to do any of it. So, uh, mm. <laughs> oh no! And so uh, we got them in good homes and everything. But yeah, it's I, I tell people all the time, my life is never boring. So <laughs> the good, the bad, yeah. the ugly. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a tough about uh, moving livestock is, you know, at the very beginning of the project, it sounds really, really awesome. You get a budget, you shake hands and you go out and start looking for them. And then when it actually comes time to move those livestock into the customer's hands, things start changing a little bit, it seems. Yeah, but more time, I mean, overwhelmingly more times than not, you're dealing with stand up people in this industry and that's the best thing about it. Right. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. So what were, uh, just to kind of move on, what were some of the mentors that you can attest some of your business success and your judging success, or maybe just your, your personal success, or what are some of those mentors uh, that you grew up with? Uh, I had a very unique situation when we were growing up showing, and uh, I, I'm just unique in general, but we bought stock from all over the country. And uh, it didn't matter where they were or who they were. If we heard about one being good, we went and we tried to look at it. And if we liked it, we tried to buy it. And so I was extremely fortunate to get to meet so many different people. And we had a great many people come through my barn at one time or another that 
lived here and help us achieve our goals. And so I think more than anything, it was being exposed to so many intelligent opinions and different point of views that I got to learn a little from each of them. And so that, right. that I don't know if there was one in terms of that, that was the bigger mentor than all, but all of them helped me and gave, you know, had an influence on me in terms of judging there is one judge that I definitely say uh, had a larger impact, and that was Dr. John Edwards. And mm-hmm. uh, he was extremely entertaining and very funny, but he was very honest on the mic. And there was nothing canned or repetitive about what he said, and you never knew uh, what he might say next. And uh, he didn't sugarcoat anything, but... Uh, I so greatly enjoyed showing to him and watching him sort that I would say of all the judges that I've seen, he definitely had the greatest impact on me. Mm. Yeah. It's, you know, we, uh, obviously for our people listening, we, we come up with some sort of an outline for our, for our guests. And that way we can, it's more so for Trevor and I, so we stay on track and don't, uh, don't ramble on. But I think that, that comment right there, Ryan segues into a a good topic of discussion that we kind of have a little further down on our list. But, um, you know, Trevor and I and, and others, many others in the livestock industry, um, understand that you have an incredible talent and, and honestly a, a gift of kind of having a photographic memory. Um, and I watched you sort the, the, uh, Indiana state fair steer show a few times. And, and it's so cool to me that you can turn your back to a class after you've sorted it and describe the livestock to a, to a T. Um, and, and like you said, you know, to be an evaluator and not have to be repetitive on the mic, say similar things over and over every single class you get to, obviously there's going to be differences, um, and muscle shapes and look and design and build. And, and sometimes the way you describe those livestock has to kind of be similar, but, um, you know, how did you learn to describe those livestock, um, and, and be able to just, you know, is it just natural that you can just turn around and say, yep, this is what it looks like. And then tell everybody else, you know, without even looking at them. Well, first off, I hate that term photographic memory. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to tell people that it's photogenic. I don't know. It just sounds nicer and there's not a stigma with it, but uh, yeah. my mother will tell you that it is indeed photographic. So I guess that's kind of just my own thing that I like <laughs> to turn things around. Uh, but, you know, when it came to sorting them and starting out, I guess it started in college uh, because, you know, if you, on a judging team, the way that you take notes, there's one system and it's been that way. I don't know, since probably since the earth cooled. And that didn't work for me. (laughs) And it just didn't work for me. And so I came up with my own system. And instead of trying to cram everything in those little boxes and why this one went over this one and, you know, things like that, like normally do, I just kind of wrote down some big general terms. And because I had that image still in my head, that was a lot more useful to me than trying to write as much down as I could. And so it started, I knew then that there were probably going to have to be some different things when I actually got the opportunity to sort. And I will tell you that, you know, no matter who you are or what your 
talents or what your profession is, the more you do it and the more you practice at it, the better you get at it. But it was indeed just a natural fit. Even the first time that I sorted stock for me to go in there and place the class and then just turn around and talk to the audience. Because I tell people all the time that if I looked back at them, I'd probably sound like Elmer Fudd. (laughs) 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 Because the clicking and the pictures would be going off and I'd see something new and not some and not focus on the big parts of why this one is getting to stand here. And so it was just a natural fit that way. Uh, you know, you said things about being repetitive and all that. I, I can't even begin to imagine how many livestock shows I've been to of all sorts, sizes, shapes, and kinds. And I've listened to so many different people and I always thought, even before I got a chance, so I said, man, I don't want to be boring <laughs> because yeah, there were right. so yeah. many times. There were so many times that I was just like, he said the same thing the last 15 classes. Like, yeah. come on. <laughs> and uh, and so I said, if I ever got the opportunity, I, that I didn't want to be boring. And uh, I'd. A lot of times things just come out. I'm not going to say that they don't. A lot of times things just pop in my head and I don't have much filter. And so whatever I'm thinking at the time happens. But I also will say that I spend a lot of time on the road and a lot of time in uh, hotels and more importantly, hotel bars. And <laughs> I and uh, I do try to think of different and unique ways to describe the stock. So it's a little bit of both. Some of it comes just naturally. And then a lot of it is something that I try to improve on that part of my craft as much as I possibly can. Absolutely. So what would you tell, we have a a big following in the collegiate uh, evaluator arena. So for those listening, what would you tell them to train your brain as best as possible to bring out those big pictures? Because, you know, I've, I've uh, listened to reasons at some of these contests at the junior college and 4-H at level, but to train those individuals to bring out the the big pictures and, and the way I learned, the quicker you can just close your eyes and remember what those stock look like, the easier it is to get through a set of reasons. So as a person who's probably the best at doing that, what would you tell those kids to train your brain to, to remember what those livestock looked like? So three hours, five hours later, you can you can describe them like that. Right. Well, absolutely. I mean, I think that the junior collegiate judging deal is a great program. And I know there's that uh, gif or meme going around right now that says that everybody that in the got to judge at collegiate livestock doesn't mean you can do it. And that's true, but it is a very worthwhile program and it does help you in so many different ways. So I'm a big fan of it. Uh, in terms of you know, how to train your brain. I think that each and every individual remembers things differently. And so you have to know yourself well enough and you have to, you know, practiced enough to know that I can remember more about this animal by picturing this, this, and this. And that's everyone's different. But in terms of trying to come across and relate in a reasons room, I promise you at those bigger contests that 
the first 15 seconds is the most important because you're going to either win that man or woman over sitting in that chair or you're going to lose them right then. And so yep. the first mm-hmm. 15, that's a very good point. And uh, the first 15 to 20 seconds is important. I tell them all the time, too. I'll never forget this. We were at Houston and a young man walked in and he said, uh, I looked down and I said, and his number was 21. I said, are you 21? He said, God, I wish I was. <laughs> <laughs> and he had me from right there. And so if there's any way that you can like, before you even start to get their attention, it'll help. And uh, like I said, I'll never right. forget that. Kid. I'll never forget that kid. I'll never forget that situation. And uh, it's just little things like that, that can help, you know, win you over or when the reasons taken over. But I, I just think that the biggest thing about terms of collegiate judging is you've got to be a hundred percent honest with yourself, learn your strengths and weaknesses. And one thing that I will tell people to do a hundred times, and they're, this is going to sound dumb and they're going to say I'm vain. The more you will watch yourself give reasons in a mirror, the better you will become because you do not know until you watch yourself what you look like, what you sound like, and how you are being portrayed until you can actually see yourself do it. That is a yep. very good point. I've always found, um, you know, the the programs that allow her uh, have the opportunity to video uh, kids given a set. I mean, you can fix posture and, and projection and, and just a lot of different things, the little things that separate the good from the great uh, in the reasons room. And, right. and yeah, I, and that's the same, and that's the same as, you know, watching yourself in a mirror right. and it's just a lot easier because you can do it every night at home. Yep, exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't have to stay, take up storage on your iPhone too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, so, so Ryan, we're going to go into another, uh, another segment here. Um, well, I guess a segment, our first one, uh, topics from a hat, uh, topics from a hat's brought to you by fierce threads. Uh, the only hat that we use is from fierce threads and we get all of our merchandise and apparel done through those folks. Fierce threads is your number one source for high quality screen printing and embroidery. You put your business success at the forefront and upgrade your apparel today. with Fierce threads. All right. So topic number one comes from Tim on Facebook. And for some reason, the two topics that we pulled out, I thought were perfect uh, for uh, for you to answer. And so Tim uh, sent us a message and he used the term caged evaluators. And I didn't really, I've never really heard this term until uh, he started talking uh, about it. And so uh, Tim, uh, Tim is uh use this term. So caged evaluators, uh, he says is kind of a, a term associated with young evaluators fresh off a judging team, or, you know, maybe they're right out of uh, high school or getting their start uh, in sorting shows. Um, and they, they tend to kind of pinpoint the small flaws and good animals uh, to flex their judging abilities. Uh, so case in point, at, at times it seems they could do more good for the livestock industry if they were locked in a cage. So that's why he calls them cage evaluators. Um, you know, so like, what's your, what's your take um, on some of these younger, fresher evaluators getting out there trying to, I don't know, maybe show off, I guess you could say, um, rather than kind of doing the big picture things and, and 
earning their stripes? Well, first off, I had never heard that term either. And so I'm glad I wasn't the only one that had never heard of it. But, uh, you know, I get what he's saying. And uh, from my standpoint, I guess I would wish for every person that wants to sort stock for them to have an experience like happened to me. And the night after we won the Louisville judging contest. The rest of my team went home and I stayed to show some and talk at all. And I was sitting there at the hotel bar and a junior college judging team coach at the time came up to me to congratulate me on winning. And it was Jerry McPeak of all people. Hmm. And uh, he said, uh, Ryan, you're going to judge 9 million shows because you're just that talented. He said, but I want you to remember something. And I said, okay. What do I need to remember? He said, there are going to be shows. And more times than not, there is going to be one that has that glow. He said, don't beat those kind. And Mm -hmm. that sounds simple, but that has stuck with me more than any other piece of advice I ever got Hmm. about sorting. And he's right. I mean, the there are ones that come in that you think that's it. And the, when I judged the Indiana state fair, I nicknamed the steer Glowworm because he walked in and he had that yeah. glow. And if I, I know that there is a tendency to want to find the little bitty flaws in those because you can, and you can say it and you can beat that one just because, but that's not the right thing to do. And it's not the thing that is going to further your judging career if you are serious about it. So stick to the big things and, you know, describe the positive things and the unique things in those cattle or sheep or goats or pigs, the things that make them different and extra and exaggerated. Point out the flaws because none of them are perfect. That God has not created a perfect animal or I haven't been able to find it. And I've tried as hard as anybody Mm -hmm. and just sort of the way that they need to go. But uh, like I said, I I would hope everybody would have an experience like that because I'm telling you that one piece of advice right there has had a bigger impact on me than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, My dad dad coached me throughout my whole uh, high school and, and earlier judging career and Every single time before a contest, he'd hand me my packet of cards and he'd say, uh, the good ones beat the bad ones and the great ones beat the good ones. So get out there, mark every single card and talk them like you see them. And that's pretty much how I've, <laughs> uh, how I've lived the rest of my, uh, my days since then, as far as my viewpoint I on mean, sorting stock. And that's exactly right. And I know it sounds simple, but there's so much truth to all of that. And, you know, not, and it doesn't matter if it's cattle or pigs or goats or lambs, the principles, the main principles in sorting stock are the same in all of them. Now there are differences in, you know, in market animals and fat cover and what is acceptable in that industry, but the principles of structural integrity, muscularity, and look, those ring true throughout the species. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, right. and so, I mean, it, if you will just, whether you're on a judging team or 
you're out there sorting, just keep those priorities and keep the big things in mind and don't try to be a hero. I love that. Don't try to be a hero. There you go, Tim. Don't try to be a hero. Thanks for your (laughs) submission. Yeah, I, I mean, as a young evaluator trying to get started, I, I admittedly get caught up in in the the little things, but I just try to tell myself, okay, there's really not another one out here that's going to beat that one, so so quit trying. <laughs> so I think that's right. to, to and, summarize that as as a whole. But and uh, and you know, go ahead. I'm the hardest. I'm sorry. The hardest situation is is or for me, my personal, the hardest situation for me is is I am very confident in what I like and admire about stock and how I prioritize them. And there are going to be times if you do this enough that that's just not there. And you're going to have to use an animal that you like something, dislike something greatly about it, but it's still the correct one to use in that situation. And that's tougher than any of it. And the best things that I've ever been able to figure out to do is just say flat out you know i'm gonna tell you right now this one is not sound enough for me but however yeah compared to the peers and contemporaries in this class it has to win because of xyz and uh Mm -hmm. yeah but that's the hardest part is when there is one in a class or in a breed that you strongly dislike something about but you also know that that's still the one that needs to win that particular division. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, so especially at a smaller show or county fair where let's be honest, right. the, you know, yeah. the caliber probably isn't there because they kept them at home to win their state fair or whatever. And you have Absolutely. to kind of prioritize it. Right. And if one's pushing a hind leg just a little bit more, and that's one of my big, big ticks in, in my priority box, but if it's the best one, you know, it didn't, that's usually like you just said, point it out. And, you know, everybody knows you saw it anyway. So right. that's, that's intriguing. And, uh, but we do have another topic that I think is really cool. And, uh, Brandon on Instagram submits a topic and he's a Texas kid and he wants to know what it would, what would be like if all shows kind of went to the slick cattle, uh, way and, and how maybe you th- we want to hear what you think. I know the Indiana State Fair had an awesome division where they they started the the slick steer show at the Indiana State Fair. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of making its way to the Midwest. So what do you think if we if more shows use that slick cattle division? Well, first off, I will tell you that the Herefords and the Shorthorns will have grounds to sue. Hundred percent, hundred percent. But you know. Oh, I'm just too honest, but when they started slip sharing steers back in the mid to late 90s or mid 90s, the idea behind this was that if you took away the hair, then you'd get rid of the fitters, you'd get rid of the steer jockeys, and it would make it an even playing field. And somehow they thought that like the people that had been competitive were no longer going to be competitive or not right. as competitive. That was not the case. Actually, <laughs> in my opinion, it has made a greater separation in between the people who are in this to win it and the ones that are there more for, you know, it being a social interaction and they do it because they like to have fun and you know 
go to shows and see their friends because it is much more difficult. And I know you Yankees won't believe me, but it is much more difficult to have the skin and hair correct on one at the caliber and level it has to be to win a major show than it is to wash and dry and blow and fit one. It is. I, I would, I would I totally agree with that. Well, you, you guys are hog guys, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it is yeah. twice not as much hard. to hide there. It is twice as hard. And also, uh, and the reason I say that it separated out even more those that want to be extremely competitive than the others is because now, since we only have one show that does have hair and where you can fit more than ever, you know, they don't wash them every day and they don't, you know, work on their hair every day. And so the ones that do, it's just the level becomes increasingly more dramatic drastic but mm-hmm. i i think that it does as a person that has been involved in it since it started i think it has made the quality of the top end better because there is nothing to hide mm-hmm. literally i think that it has also uh made it more competitive on the top end uh i think that we have lost a very important part of the industry in terms and what helps make these kids learn things to be better young people in terms of the fact that, you know, we don't concentrate as much on the work at home in terms of hair, but more importantly, there's not as many kids now that know how to fit in our state as there used to be used to be every single kid knew how to fit one or wanted to learn how to fit one because you had to do it at every single show. And that's not the case now. Learning how to clip and fit one is more than just that. It's learning teamwork. It's learning how to get along in a pressure situation. It's, you know, so many more things than just the actual job or task of it and i think that slick sharing diminishes that and takes that part out of it i agree uh the thing about slick cattle that's so intriguing though to to a guy that grew up in the midwest and went to school in texas is is just that the real body shape and real muscle shape that you have to have in one and still keep them sound and good looking to win it's just you know I mean, you alluded to this. It's like you, you can you can hide a lot of things with hair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, now most evaluators, I would think, are are good enough and and smart enough to figure it out on on the you know high level uh, of things. You know, state fairs and and things of that nature. But yeah, I think man, if if all cattle shows went to slick, boy, that would be an interesting thing. I would think the Angus people would probably be pretty happy though, um, <laughs> <laughs> for the most part. I mean, but. Uh, you're right. Like, and, I, and as I said earlier, it has made the cattle on the top end even better. I'm not. I'm not right. going to say that it has not done that because it has. But with everything, there are pros and cons. And so, yeah. uh, I just i I don't know if it's for everybody. It has worked in this state in a lot of positive ways, and there has been some detriments. And I I don't know if it's for everybody, but 
I guess we'll find out because, like you said, I know Indiana has um, put that division in there. The Louisiana, their big show was slick sheared, and Oklahoma the past two years after Hawaii has had a slick sheared show. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, all right. Well, that's topics from a hat. Thank you uh, for your submissions, Tim and, and Braden. We appreciate it. And, folks, please continue to send those to us. We greatly appreciate it. So, uh, speaking about being involved uh, in things kind of from the their beginning, um, tell tell the fine folks uh, that listen to our podcast um, the story of TJLA, how it got started, uh, where it's going, and why other states should model a a junior livestock system after it. Okay. Uh, the Texas Junior Livestock Association was actually created by my family. Uh, my father was an ag teacher, but more than that, he was also a rodeo cowboy. And not many people know that about him. <laughs> he <laughs> rode bulls and steer dog and roped and all that. And then he became an ag teacher. And uh, my mother is one of the most competitive people I've ever met other than me. And so the two of them got their heads together along with another couple that their kid was in my father's ag program back then. And they modeled a system after the NFR for kids that showed livestock where you would get points based on how well you did. And there was a top 10 and it started with steers and that was the only thing the first year. And they had a, top 10 in each breed and there was an all around just like in the NFR and that's how it started uh it grew quickly and they added heifers and then lambs and then pigs and then goats one for a couple years we even had a livestock judging division uh <laughs> it'll be it'll be 40 years old next year and uh it is a truly unique deal and a good thing and there have been some uh different states that have taken it on like Oklahoma club calf association modeled theirs after ours. And they've been successful for quite so many years, but it just gives kids another outlet to continue to do this and learn in this industry and be rewarded for it in terms of the whole statewide. The TJLA actually not only has an all around division, we have a showmanship division with four ages in each uh, species we have breeds, and all of the breeds are different depending on what the species are. And then we also have a regional program where our state is split into five regions, and we give a top 10 to the kids in each region uh, who get the highest number of points. Hmm. Wow. That is that is cool. I mean, uh, there's a, there's another state, I think, uh, that's – started something um, that I think is going to start taking hold. Illinois is kind of got one region started, but that, uh, that Iowa showdown thing that they do over there with a the different, you know, that three tier kind of level, you got to win your County, then you got to win your district. And then you go to the, the all Iowa show. I think that that system is killer. I mean, just allows people the chance to take livestock that maybe wouldn't make their state fair string. Um, you know, and just, or, or maybe you just got some lightweights that are really good. Maybe didn't take feed as well early on or just later born and give those people an opportunity to show those livestock for an extended period of time. So, uh, 
And I know, didn't you, you just got back from sorting one of those district right. shows, right? I just did the yeah. Southeast Iowa final drive. So, and uh, I wrote about it on Facebook, but I tell you what, that was one of the most unique and rewarding experiences I've ever got had as a sorter. We don't have anything like that in Texas. And so, and I really didn't know much about the system before they called me and explained it to me. But to be there in that moment, and I don't know if they're all like this, but at that event there, first, the people putting it on were so sincere. And they had a huge crowd, and that crowd was into it. And and I'll be honest with you, as someone who sorts and talks to the crowd, uh, I I feed off their energy a great deal. And so... Mm -hmm. You know, and that's not that's unique to me, and and so when they are that into it, then that just helps, and you know, amps me up even more. And the kids were amazing, and the stock were really good. I'm not, and, you know, of course, when you've already been named a champion or reserve at your county and advance the next level, then they're going to be. But uh, it was just one right. of one of the coolest experiences. I've ever got to be a part of. And I, I, I would suggest it for any state. Yeah, it's pretty cool. What I mean, Illinois has got a 12 County system they're doing this year, trying it out for the first time. Um, you know, there's several very good show families involved, uh, that kind of help start put this thing together. And, uh, it's pretty cool just to see the kids reactions, you know, if they, if they get selected, cause it's a bigger deal now. It's even it's a, it's even a bigger deal to win your county show, uh, you know, regardless of species. And so I think that just kind of uh, gives a, another goal for kids to work towards and and something cool for uh, breeders, you know, to try and go and win, too. I think it's a big deal if you can beat out, uh, you know, 12 other county champions. Absolutely. So. Right. I really wish Ohio could grasp the concept. I don't know if you know this or not, Ryan, but every grand and reserve at a county fair here in Ohio has to has to end. They're, they they cannot be taken out of the fairgrounds once they are grand or reserve. Right. So that is the biggest limitation we have as far as trying to – I think it's incredible the ideas that they're doing because it, it gives you a for sure best of the area. And it, like you said, it just heightens the, in, the entire deal – as far as, as being grand or reserve at your county. So, I mean, as far as we just said, you, you just left there in Iowa and you were telling me before we got on, I think you got another 10 the next two weeks, it seems. So uh, as a person who judges all over the country from coast to coast and uh, what kind of trends do you see in the cattle? Well, really all livestock uh, and, and where, where do you think we're headed next? And, and for those wanting to get ahead of that trend, where do you see this still going? Uh, you know, I actually think that we're in a really good place right now. And not not I know that this segment is primarily about cattle, but I think we're kind of there in all the species. And I think that we have moved farther away from one single characteristic being the most important thing in sorting the stock. And it's more of a well-rounded deal. And so I think that's important. Uh, in terms of cattle, this is going to sound simple. But I think the steers look more like steers and the heifers look more like heifers than ever before. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And uh, and so I, yeah. I think we're in a good place. I hope that in and this is again throughout all species, I hope that we continue to make them sounder. 
And uh, because that's something that I value and admire probably the most when I sort stock. And it's something that I prioritize a lot. And I think there's still some room for improvement there. Uh, you know, and of course, there are always going to be trends that baffle me and things like that that come and go. But uh, right now, I think we're in a real good spot. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I, I mean, even at the small county level, there's a lot, there's, there's more emphasis on structure i think now than there ever has been and like you said i don't think we can emphasize that enough um and i'm speaking from a county fur judge's perspective trying to grow but as a person who just sees them all that's that's kind of why i wanted to get that question in there to uh just to kind of see because you hear you know the pendulum swing we get them too tall and too good looking and then they end up being too narrow and uh flatten out the rib cage and all that and then you go back the other way and you get them you saw their cannon bone in half, make them short and moderate and round. So I, I'm, I agree 100%. We're about right in the middle as far as the balance and the proportionality in these livestock. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, I think that more than ever, and I think it is because, and you touched on it, we are not at a point where one criteria or one feature is the most important thing and what sorts them out. Like it's not just muscle or it's not just look or, you know, because when you, when look is the most important, then they're going to have to be flatter and narrower. When muscle's the most important, they're going to have to be wider and uglier and unsound. And I think we've moved away from all that a great deal. And uh, it is more just trying to make them as good as they can be in all areas. And so I, I, right. I don't know if that's a trend, but I think that's where we are, and I think it's a good thing. Yeah, I, uh, I've, I've talked to a few breeders, and, and I'm very fortunate to live in a hotbed of very talented uh, breeders of all species here uh, where I'm at in Illinois. And, um, you know, there, there's been some talk, you know, as far as the cattle side of things goes that, you know, maybe we're relying a little bit too much um, on the brokers and and the traders to uh, find these livestock rather than going out into the pastures uh, with the guys that bred them. Um, obviously from the standpoint of getting them sold, it's probably just a little bit easier for guys to get them moved that way. Uh, but you know, the system of, of people not going out and seeing these things as babies uh, you know, studying them throughout the, the you know, so a particular steer or heifer could get traded, five, six, seven times before it lands, lands in a place where it's going to be, uh, you know, living out the rest of its show career. And so, you know, in, in that, in that standpoint, I would, I would think that some of the trends, uh, you know, and, and maybe I'd like to get your take on this too, Ryan is, is where can we go, um, from the standpoint of, you know, basing real world cattle, Real, I mean, obviously, pigs and sheep don't really have any relevance in in their particular industries um, anymore. But you know, cattle is the closest thing that we have to a a show setting and a commercial setting. Um, you know, having a, a similar path and direction to go. I mean, your your feedlot steers and stuff like that could still come out of a, a quote unquote club calf operation. Um, and your replacement females and things of that nature, obviously purebred seed stock is hu a huge market in the United States. And so, you know, I would think that there's an opportunity, uh, 
and not that club calf genetics are bad by any means, but there's a lot of people out there um, that, that I think would listen to this podcast that maybe would like to get a little bit more um, would like to get closer to not being able to have to go search for a broker or find buy cattle that have been traded five, six, seven times and spend more money on them rather than actually talking to the guy that bred them, understand their genetics and how they're going to grow and mature and that sort of thing. So I don't know. Do you see it? Do you see a trend? Because uh, it seems to me like there's a lot more traders and brokers than there are breeders now. So do you see a trend right. in in the in any kind of a shift? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Do we need to moderate it? Uh, I think the reason that well, first and foremost, the traders and brokers. I think the reason there are so many more of those now is because it is a lot easier to have them go out there and do the legwork, and you show up in one place, and they've got ninety head from you to pick from. And that's why they're doing it because they can make a living at it. And yes, it does end up costing more. But I also tell people all the time, you know, because the jockeys and stuff, they get a bad rap a lot of times. But Mm -hmm. here's the one thing about that. And I want this to be clear. Nobody who was selling used cars on a lot wakes up one day and says, you know what? I'm going to be a steer jockey. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the people the people that do this were part of this program, brought up in it, loved it so much that they wanted to try to make a living out of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. And so they have their place in the industry, just like the purebred seed stock breeders do. I agree with you that I think now more than ever, the people aren't going to those people and talking to the guy that bred them right there at the ranch. If they want to change that, then they're going to have to make their animals that they have for sale more public and get more publicity and have those people want to go there first before, you know, the other guys get in there and do that. And the easiest and the cheapest way to do that is social media. I, I don't think that there's, any better way to buy one than going to the guy and seeing that one on the cow and you see the cow and the calf and you, he knows exactly what bull he AI'd that cow to, etc. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's the most ideal situation, but it also is the most time consuming and you're normally going there for a few to look at a couple when again, you can go to operation and there'd be a hundred or more there. So there are positives and negatives with it all. But for those people that are in that, you know, predicament and want them to those kids and those families to come there, see those cattle on the side of the cow, talk to them. I get it. And I don't think there's any more ideal situation in the world to buy one. I think they're going to have to change their marketing strategy to, make themselves more prevalent in this industry right now. Yeah. Cause people just aren't willing to put on the miles anymore. You know, it's, it, it's a fast paced world we live in and, and you kind of hit, hit it right. I think there's several folks that, you know, uh, they've got good livestock and the, the brokers and traders and, and jockeys, they're, they're the guys that are out there, you know, buying rent or, you know, renting a car to go out uh, and travel, you know, three, 4,000 miles in a week. 
and looking at st- looking at stock and picking them up. <laughs> it, it's because they've decided that's how they want to make their livelihood. Yep. And so that's their full-time job where, right. you know, everybody that's buying them has a full-time job that is giving them the funds to actually buy these things for their kids. And so with videos and online sales and, you know, all this other stuff that is easier and more accessible now than ever, I understand why, you know, the seed stock guys are having trouble getting those people there because even, I mean, I can't, I couldn't give you a percentage, but the number of actual live auctions is greatly diminished compared to what it used to be, no, you know, no. due to, the, due to internet and all the advances that we have now. That's a good take. Yeah. I, like I mean, it. that's, that's interesting, especially here on both sides of the story. And I agree with you, Corey. I think that the gap is the smallest between uh commercial cattle and, and the show cattle deal, uh, you know, as far as the other species, but that is good, good, Good guy. Good uh, topic there, boys. Good job. <laughs> uh, so we're going to jump right into another segment that uh, is one of our favorites. We call Social Smash. And and Ryan, what this is, is we like to hear your biggest pet peeve, uh, particularly on social media. So let's hear it. Okay. Uh, my I love social media. Obviously, I use it a lot and a uh, big fan of it. Uh my biggest pet peeve in terms of the junior livestock or the show industry and social media is this. When they post that picture of the animal before the show in their hopes that the judge sees it or someone attached to the judge will see it and will get word <laughs> to them beforehand. Yeah. Let me tell you something. If that is the route you feel like you have to take to be successful at that show, there's one of two things going on. You don't have confidence in your animal or you don't have confidence in the sorter. And putting that picture up there with some text about how amazing it is, is not going to fix either one of those situations. That's just my take. (laughs) I love that. Gosh, that is so true. I, you know, and I don't know in what, Maybe it just happens in equal parts of all species, but every once in a while I see a post like, uh, and, and to be honest, we've we've been guilty of doing this before, but it was never with the intention of, uh, you know, having somebody see it that we knew was sorting a show. But you know, you you get update pictures back, and you're like, dang, that thing turned out a lot better than I thought it would. And like this family's doing a heck of a good job, and you want to post a picture and kind of commend the family for that. But there's other guys that you can kind of tell like. Boy, love the progress of this one. Can't wait to see what he looks like in two more weeks. Like, oh, really? Yeah. What, show, what shows in two more weeks? You know what I mean? So no, yeah, that I kind mean, of thing cracks me up. Well, and like I said, there there are innocent things that happen all the time that can be taken and twisted, whatever. But we all know what I'm talking about. There are people out there yes. specifically put animals out there on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, just in hopes that whoever is sorting gets a sneak peek of that calf or pig or whatever else and knows he's coming. 
Well, and Facebook is such a an easy way for people to contact people. Maybe they don't have their phone number or something like that. But boy, if you're friends with them on Facebook, it's pretty easy to send them a message. I had a, a good buddy of mine sorted uh, sorted the Badger kickoff show there up there in Wisconsin. And literally the night before the show, he got two different pictures and two different videos from the same guy uh, with with this calf that, you know, he's like, hey, man, just want to let you know this family's been doing a really good job. This uh, You'll see this calf tomorrow. Uh, let, <laughs> let me know what you think. And uh, <laughs> he didn't message him back, obviously, but it pissed him off. And he's like, I'm going to freaking bury this thing when I see it. Like people don't understand that as a show judge, you know, you well, I can't speak for all, but I would like to guess that most uh, want to do an honest job evaluating A, so they can get more shows, and B, so they don't look like an idiot. And and you know, when when you get people that do that kind of stuff, expecting a good result out of it, like I don't know what they're thinking. Like, you know, to me, more times I, than not, it goes against the family, <laughs> right? You said he only got two. Yeah, he only, he only got two. He only got two, and I think that's because he hasn't uh, at the time. But jeez, uh, yeah, yeah, hold my beer because it happens way more than what uh, you think. No, but you are right. It 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 is not something that is looked upon well in from this judge's perspective, and uh, it doesn't. And and more times than not, it's not that individual family. So you have to yeah, it's never the kid's fault. You have to yeah take that into consideration and understand. But and we all, I, I'm the most competitive person I know, and so I get the wanting to win, and I understand it. And so, uh, but like I said, yeah, uh, it's not real cool. <laughs> no, not in the slightest. So, well, um, next, next topic of discussion, um, is, is one that, you know, I think Trevor and I, and probably a lot of people listening, uh, have heard you discuss before, uh, both in, in the show ring and some, some other interviews that have been, uh, has been done with you before. But, um, you know, we all know that Ryan Rash is, is one of the most, unique and vibrant characters in the livestock industry. Um, but, you know, for our listeners and our platform um, who may not be open-minded or who may just struggle a little bit with trying to find um, their own way through the livestock industry, uh, what do you tell the person that's listening um, that maybe needs some help? You know, maybe it's one way or the other. Right. First and foremost, I want everyone to know that to be someone they're not is a waste of who they are. And I'll be honest with you, Mm. this hasn't been an easy road for me. And I know I knew full and well the expectations were of someone who got to sort the big shows and the ones that I wanted to sort. And there was a formula on how to get to that point. And how to get that opportunity to judge the shows at the level and the caliber that I aspired to. And nobody that got those jobs didn't follow that formula. Much less take the recipe, tear it up, and throw it out the window and say, hey, world, I'm gay. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) And so uh, my mother and I have an extremely close relationship. 
However, it's not traditional in any sense whatsoever. We don't have a lot of warm fuzzies or heart-to-hearts. And while we're each other's biggest fans, we're also each other's loudest critics. And we're brutally honest. But when I decided that I was going to come out, I felt the need to sit down and tell her. And immediately she began to bawl. And then she told me all of her fears and worries and concerns. And she said, you know, ever since you were a little boy, I had a dream of watching you judge a major show. And if this is the path you take, it will not matter how talented or devoted you are. I just don't think it's possible. And for maybe the third time in my life, I actually agreed with her. (laughs) (laughs) And I, but I said, somewhere out there, there are boys and girls just like me at that age. And they're confused and they're scared, and they're struggling how to fit in, and wondering if everything they want to accomplish in this industry is possible. And who changes the future for those kids? Who do they have to look up to? If it's not me, who? And if it's not, now when? Huh. And yep. I, won't, I won't lie. There, there's been some unimaginably cruel, dark, and lonely moments. And uh, there have been more roadblocks and detours than I can count on this road. But all of that has been completely overshadowed and outshined by the overwhelmingly rewarding moments that when someone has reached out to me and told me that I had an impact on their life or I had an impact on someone they knew. And when I decided this, I told myself, If I can make it easier for one kid who is struggling to be a success in this industry or to not give up on themselves or their goals, then I've done what I was put on this earth to do. And I hope I'm not done, but anyone who is out there is listening and is in that situation, just know from my own personal story and from how things have happened to me that when we give up on what was or was supposed to be and we embrace what is, that's when things that we think are improbable or impossible magically happen before our eyes. Wow. Well said. Powerful stuff. Um, There's a, you know, I'm sure that there's people (laughs) that'll tune in and, and, you know, disagree with your lifestyle and that sort of thing. And I'm sure you've kind of felt that, but uh, has there been anybody that was just kind of, you know, on the fence or or maybe wasn't very nice to you early on that have now joined the fan club? Other than my mother, I doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, seriously. Uh, I am a very, polarizing person and I know it I own it and I wear it like a badge of honor and much like my personality there is not a whole lot of gray area when it comes to your thoughts on me you're either big in or you're big out and I get it what I will say though (laughs) is every show I judge someone will come up to me or someone will reach out to me and say you know, I saw you and, or I heard about you and, 
then they will fill in the blanks and it is not <laughs> overwhelmingly positive or glowing. But then they will say, mm. I watched you sort and I heard you on the mic or I watched you work with those kids. And they will then tell me that they have a different opinion or that they respect me. And so I don't know if I made them part of my fan club or they like me, but I do think that I have made several people respect my abilities and I would rather be respected than liked any day. Yeah, yeah. I get that. And I, that's kind of the, know, the path I was going to is, is you're, you've got a, a, an incredible talent. And if people can at least realize that, um, you know, God save them, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> and we're in an industry where it's probably the most professional and respectful industry on earth. And But we're also in an industry where first impressions are huge. And I think mm-hmm. there's more people than not that have the uh, inability to just say, the first impression, what I've got of you is not what really is you. Or, you know, there's, we're so quick to judge anymore and everything's so fast paced. But if we all just take a second and give everybody a chance and, and I hope that there's, there's somebody listening that, that knows your story now and can be impacted that way. Because in the end, you know, we all want to be better people or at least I do. And, um, as much as we can share, like you have, I I think, uh, you know, it's great and it's impactful no matter what your lifestyle is, but, uh, to be able to, you know, just be yourself. And, and that's kind of why you know, I wanted to put that question on, on the list there is because, um, you know, just from watching you judge and in the industry, you're you're not afraid to just go out and get after it. And, you know, hearing the backstory of your your mother and you discussing that and how you both maybe thought that it would never happen. And it happened so many times judging these these major shows. So, uh that's impactful. I, I think it's it's good stuff. So appreciate you uh, sharing that with us. Not a problem. So we're going to uh, take another avenue. Uh, this is kind of these last two questions are, are a lot of fun. But with all those shows that you've judged, we mentioned like 10 million times in this episode. What is the best piece of livestock that you've ever judged? You can do multi-species if you want or a couple. But I want to know. Which ones that stand out in your mind? Oh, can we put together another Mount Rushmore? Oh, oh here you go. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I do get to sort every species a lot, and there have been so many good ones. I will tell you, first and foremost, the one that just sticks out every time is Jojo the White Heifer at the Tulsa State Fair of the Johnson's families. Mm. And, uh, I don't remember what year, but it was the first year that I got to judge the Tulsa State Fair Heifer Show, and it was the first day, and it was early in the morning, and uh, I don't even know how many people heard what I said about this heifer on the mic, but I'll never forget it, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, this female here could walk into the deepest, darkest forest, knock down every tree, whip the meanest, nasty, grizzliest bear, and come out the other end looking like a lady. (laughs) <laughs> and and i told him i said so if you don't understand what that means it's not that i like this one i absolutely love this one and uh that heifer was 
as close to flawless as anything that I had ever got to judge. And she was impeccable. And she went on to have a tremendous career. Uh, she won Kansas City and she won Denver. And I was so infatuated with that heifer that we bought a flush out of her at the embryos on the snow cell. Wow. Hey. And that 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 flush actually produced the heifer of the Arthur family uh, that they called Wasp that they showed in 2017-2018 that won Denver and KC as well. Yeah. Wow. So. That's crazy. What's uh okay, what what's your favorite show steer you've ever judged? Hmm. Show share I've ever judged. We could, we could do slick inherit if you want. Uh I well see, I don't get to judge many slick shows because I don't I sell so many in Texas, right. I don't judge yeah. many. Uh but uh probably the just the of the ones I've judged, I would have to say that the most impressive one was that glowworm stare at the Indiana State Fair. Uh, you know, we talked about that earlier, but that KF hit the ring. And there was another one in that class that was really good. And there had been one that they ended up being reserved crossbred that had won a class or two before him. And that one came in. I said, man, that's the ticket right there. And he was so sound, wow. so incredible in his body build, and yet fresh and still had a rocket front. Uh, uh, that one was just a unique crazy creature. We talked with and shine uh, like Jesse a glowworm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We talked with Jesse Heimer, and uh, you know, it, it's kind of he brought it up a few times that you know some some hogs that he raised were kind of consensus picks. Uh, I remember that mm-hmm. year at the state fair, and when that thing walked in, not even just in the grand drive, but when he walked in in class, I think that was kind of a consensus pick, like. There ain't nothing going to touch this calf. So like the oxygen kind of walked, came out of the room. Like yeah. it was like, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Animals. And, like this and, like said, and like I said, there was a girl in in that class that was second and she was an awesome showman and I didn't know her. And I told her on the mic, I said, my heart just breaks for you. Because you just got in here with one that it's not possible, but you could have almost yeah. won any other class in the crossbreds all day. But yeah, he was pretty wow. special. That's cool. That's awesome. So we always wrap up with a famous last question that we give all of our guests. And the last question to wrap up with is where do you see the show stock industry in five years? Mm. Okay. Well, I don't have a crystal ball, so I hate making predictions because that means you can be wrong. And <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like to say that I am seldom wrong and never in doubt, <laughs> but uh, I do have hope. I do have hopes for the industry. And some of those are that, you know, we don't get wrapped up into any wild trends. And like we talked about earlier, we keep it where the entire animal and all of the priorities are important and that not one attribute or feature or physical characteristic becomes more important than the others. Uh, I hope that we just continue to improve and refine the stock and make them better and build them better and make them more impeccable each and every single year. Uh, I want us as an industry to become more accepting. I think we need to be kinder. And I hope that we're more gracious in victory and defeat. I don't want us to lose sight that the real product that we're raising 
in this industry is the kits and the stock is just a vessel for that. And most importantly, and I know this will be controversial and that's fine. I hope we can make politics less prevalent in the show ring in the future. Mm. Yeah. Can we, can we, let's expand on that. I know that this is our last question, but we actually had a Facebook message, uh, not a Facebook message, but uh, I think it was an email. An email. And we alluded to some of it. And Trevor and I are going to do a whole episode based off of this email because it was that incredible. But but I really want to hit on the politics thing. And I understand we all have friends in the industry. We all have right. we all have people that uh, bring good stock. And, and sometimes it, it can be uh, challenging for a guy to – stand there and have, you know, uh, eight, eight kids in the show ring, you know, they're, you know, the, the cattle, you know, the families, you know, where they came from, you know, if they've won some shows, it's, it's, it happens. It really does. Mm -hmm. But you know, what, what, uh, what are your thoughts on how we can kind of eliminate that thing? Is, is it just, we got to start calling judges out. We got to start calling breeders and, and jockeys out a little bit more. Um, you know, hell, we got the platform to do it, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's going to take everybody. Uh, it's, it's a consorted effort. And when I, what I mean by that, and I touched on this a little bit when in my Phoenix interview, the, the judges themselves that get the opportunities to sort those big, important shows there, we all as a group of individuals that are that lucky We've got to make it more important for it to be just as honest and straight up as humanly possible, even if it puts us in an awkward or unfortunate you know, situation. Number two, mm-hmm. the people that put the list together of the names and send those to those big shows, they've got to be more responsible on who gets on that list and who doesn't. Mm. And that, yes. that, that, that's just how it is. Next, the people that at those shows that make that final decision and make those calls, they have got to do some real homework and soul searching and make sure that the people that they decide for each event is the best person and the best fit for that particular show. And I, I, the exhibitors and the families have in all of it, the breeders, etc. They've got to have more say in who gets those positions. And there's little things that we can do that'll help it. And again, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes or, you know, send somebody off the deep end. But if you will look at these major shows and, in the in most specifically in the breeding cattle thing. The vast majority of those breeds are getting judged by someone who breeds those cattle. Mm-hmm. So if you're a breeder of those cattle and you make your livelihood selling those cattle and you know more people than you know all those people in that breed because you're involved in it, the possibility of there being a decision that is politically motivated is way more prevalent than if it is a guy that is not from that breed. And that is simply common Mm -hmm. sense. Mm. And yeah. And 
you know, we're human. People do not like to admit this, but judges are human. And sometimes it is unintentional. But when you are in actively involved that breed, you know who you've done business with. You know who has helped you. You know who's judging the next big show where you're going to be sorting at it. And some of it is purely unintentional. But it happens. And there are ways to not go there in terms of there are talented and qualified people in every single breed in America. And I do think that if we focus more on having people outside the breed judge those breeds of cattle, that it would help. Also, you know, politics is a double-edged sword. And I've been burnt by it way more times than it ever helped me. And that's just the truth. But also, a lot of times when people scream politics, it's not always true. Yep. And here's the thing. If every show you go to on those bigger ones, there's going to be a handful of them that can win. And some of the times, I'm not saying all the times, but some of the times when somebody wants to say, oh, well, that was political because XYZ judged and ABC won, it's not that. It is that fact that the guy sorting has a type and kind. And the person that won the show knew that type and kind well enough because he's either been around him or watched that man or woman sort, etc., to know exactly what to bring him. Now, that's not politics. That's doing your homework and trying to be competitive. So right. it's, a, it's, exactly. a, it's a thin line, but, and you've got to know when it is politics and when it's just not. And, uh, it's hard to navigate sometimes, but I'm also not going to sit here and tell you that it is not out there and it is not more prevalent than it ever has been because I honestly believe it is and it's got to change. Those yeah. are, those are oh, awesome. I, I love the, I love the idea. And, and I would think, you know, these major shows, they have websites freaking throw out your list. And if you want to get people involved, I mean, let, the bring, kids bring politics the into politics. Bring politics into politics. Have the people vote. Well, have the people and vote on who I, they want to show to. I'm I'm with you a hundred and ten percent. And I threw the. I, I'm sure y'all know Glenn Martin, but anyway, about three months ago, I had a discussion with him about this, and I said, you know, I run shows, and I know that everybody wants to have control over who sorts their show because they do not want somebody who is not capable, qualified, etc. I get that. But if those shows have control over a list and they put three people on a list out there and let those actual, and you're not going to put somebody on the list you don't want to sort your show and then let the exhibitors take over from there, no one can complain because yeah. – the show yeah. put the list together, and the people that entered your show voted, yeah. and the highest vote getter won. And I know people will think that is so far out there and completely not even possible, but I think it's something to look into and consider. Yeah, and, and with today's technology, no I doubt. think that's easy. I mean, you just put it on a website, make a link to it, 
hey, vote on who you want to judge the San Antonio Steers this year. Here's here's the list of three you got to pick from. And, yep. you know, and then and then in turn, you go back to at that point, you go back to the part now you you get to eliminate uh, judges maybe that are more political or that are more unqualified and not ready to sort those shows yet. And yep. so then that gives that gives those guys the realization like, man, I either better change my act and quit being so political at, at judging shows or, man, I better go sort a lot more county fairs because I'm not getting called up to the big boys yet. Uh you know, I, I just got to get better and, and hone my craft. So, well, it puts, I mean, it literally puts the burden on everybody because not only is it, if you want to be on that list, you're going to have to play it straight and narrow and do the best job you absolutely can. But also, you know, it's real easy for the exhibitors and the families when they're mad to complain about the judge. Mm-hmm. But if you voted, oh, yeah. you okay. had a say in it. Now, yes. granted, you, your guy that you wanted may not have won, but you still got a say in the process. And so that burden's back on you to the next time to make sure you get the one you want. You call up every single person you know you'll get your heads together and blo- you know say, we all need a vote for this one. Yep. But yeah, I've I think it's I think it's a very interesting and, and real concept. It put like you said, it spreads out the worst thing you can do is have one committee president pick the judge and one person's decision. You know, I think it needs to be if if not the public's decision, it needs to be a board for sure. No, but, I mean, the, uh, the worst, what? you're right. The worst thing you can do is give all the control to one person. Yep. And, and I hope. I sincerely hope right now that at the end of this episode, there is there is some county fair only people listening. And those people also need to realize that, uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, these these superintendents or committees or whoever selects the judge for even at the county fair level, they they don't want the exhibitors to know who who is judging or they don't want the judge to know exhibitors there. I'm like, well, first of all. Uh, it would be great as an exhibitor to know who I'm going to show to because I know what kind of livestock that that person likes or might like. And that's the kind Amen. of man. And better yet, God bless America. I yeah. do not, I do not, do not understand the concept of keeping the judges secret because more times than not, you're going to have more than one animal at home. Yep. And if you don't know who's yeah. starting, you don't know which one to take. So keeping it a secret, uh, it's just bullshit. I'm sorry, and I hate to cuss, but that, that, and, that and is better yet, just the honest Well, truth. it is. And secondly, I... And what if you don't know who the judge is and you bought pigs from him or cattle from him or, you know, I, then you take that one? You can't do right. that. And then the other thing, and and I, and it happens more on a county fair level than anything else, and we all know that the hardest thing in the world is to win your county fair. It seems like it's easier to win Denver sometimes <laughs> right. than your county fair. I swear to God. Uh, I, I swear to you, I think it's easier to win Denver than your county fair. But uh, <laughs> on on that level, uh, ever they all say, I want somebody that doesn't know anybody. Oh, you're well, going down the path I wanted to take too. <laughs> uh, when you find somebody that doesn't know anybody, then they probably don't know a whole lot either. Because... If, Bingo. if you have been successful 
in this industry and you are knowledgeable enough to get to start one of those deals, you just didn't magically show up one day and get it. People helped you get there. So you're going to know people. And so that I want somebody that nobody knows. Yeah, I don't buy into that either. Yep. Yep. Those are the, the exact two things. I literally, I hope so much that there's somebody listening here that, that puts the show on or has thought about it or even hell, even people that are, are in heavily involved in their county shows, freaking take that idea and go to the people that are organizing the shows and lay it on them. Have, just have them fast forward to this part in the episode. Let them listen to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's uh, I think that wraps up pretty much everything we got Trev. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Uh, first and foremost, Ryan, thanks so much for grabbing the mic and, and, and talking to us on here. It's been very intriguing conversations and I hope uh, I, I would be venture to guess there's many people out there that really value your opinion in the ring and better yet uh, just sharing your thoughts openly and your story. Uh, I'm sure it's going to impact somebody's life even further than what you already have. So thanks again for being who you are. And thanks again for uh, jumping on Stock Talk Podcast. Thank you all so much for having me. I greatly enjoyed it. You bet. All right, guys. Well, we would love to hear from you. Uh, like always, if you have topics or social smashes or anything like that, you want to be a sponsor, uh, contact us, uh, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat. Uh, let us know. If you like what you heard, give us a five-star review, share, comment, uh, tell your family and friends, continue to blare it down the road uh, while you're sitting there in your home office board, uh, not doing the work you should be doing. Uh, go and visit our website, uh, stocktalk-podcast.com. Get your apparel, uh, your merchandise. Um, as you will, as you heard throughout the episode, we have some uh, some items that we're selling. Um, and so make sure you go and check out the website. And until August 16th, 10% of our online sales goes to the Ronald McDonald house. So what an even better way to buy us some merch. All right, guys. Well, we are excited for this episode and we hope you enjoyed it. This has been another edition of Stock Talk. <laughs>